Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey guys, I'm Sai and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation, the home of the Andy Campbell Football Show. This is episode number 76. We are live on YouTube, Facebook and Periscope, Periscope stroke Twitter. Ace Podcast Nation is also home to many other great shows and series featuring top guests, expert analysts and more. So please give us a follow on social social media and uh, of course subscribe to the YouTube channel. That's the, the best way to support us, really helps us out a lot. Uh, you can find the audio versions to all our shows and series at the, your favourite podcast and radio app. And, of course, you can follow the Andy Campbell Show if you'd like to streamline your experience by uh, following at AC Footy Show. And, and that's on all social media. But the links to all of that is in the description and in the closing credits. And uh, just as we wait for the chats to fill up on the various platforms, we'll, uh, we'll say a big thank you to Black Diamond Sports, first of all, for all their support. Uh, they're a global sports agency representing sports stars from around the world. For more information, you can visit their social media pages and their brand new website. The links to which are both in the description and the closing credits. And uh, of course, as usual, but a massive thank you to Bespoke Financial for sponsoring the show. And uh, here's a quick word from them. My mummy and daddy have been talking about life insurance. It sounds like something to protect my brother and me, but I don't really understand. Then my Auntie Louise told Mummy about Bespoke Financial Teesside. She said they're a local company who helped her with her life insurance. Mummy got in touch and because they're based locally, a man called Darren was able to come to our house. He was really friendly. Darren stayed for a cup of tea and made it all really easy to understand. He said that life insurance will protect our home and family if anything bad were to happen. Like if Mummy or Daddy got sick, then we'd get enough money to take care of us and our house would be paid for so we wouldn't get taken away. 
After an hour, Darren said goodbye and Mummy and Daddy seemed a lot happier. Once it was all sorted, we could all relax and watch a film together as a family. I don't know why they didn't do it sooner. Bespoke Financial specialise in life insurance, critical illness, income protection, mortgages and of course sports cover. And I, I urge you to check out their social media pages and the, the links to everything is in the description at the end of the show. Uh, and we thank them for sponsoring this show and their continued support with both the, the Andy Campbell football show and also the championship show on the Friday at 7 o'clock. Uh, so let's get into it. Joining me as usual, first of all, is my co-host, the goal collector, the king of the over-40s league, Cardiff City and Middlesbrough legend, but most importantly, Davy Jones' favourite son, Mr Andrew Campbell. How are you, mate? You OK? I'm good, mate, yeah. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to tonight. I've, uh, I've got a few uh, personal questions for, great, for, for our guests. Uh, that sounds, one, that one, sounds one. ominous, doesn't it? Well, just, just, just <laughs> basically, just for, just for, just for where I went wrong in me, uh, in me coaching and me managing regime. Ah, all right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm really excited for it tonight. It's, uh, it's going to be a, going to be a, going to be a cracker. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Seb, uh, obviously, uh, the majority of the, the kind of play, the people we get on are uh, like either current players or, or people who've not long finished their playing career. I'm really looking forward to, to speaking to someone who's like neck deep in coaching and managing and of course played as well uh, but tonight's guest played for Doncaster Rovers, Wigan Athletics, Southend United among others before moving into coaching where he's been assistant manager at Everton, Belgium, manager at Town, before settling into his current job as first team coach at championship side AFC Bournemouth. Mr Graham Jones, welcome Graham, how are you? Good evening Si, good evening Andy. Okay? Oh, I mean, it's nice to uh, it's nice to have uh, another norm, northern voice on and uh, and uh, bringing me back to my roots. It just makes me feel at home. Makes me feel great. Yeah, the, well, uh, gotta, gotta, <laughs> the northern and you can't separate us. Now they take 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 over the world, mate. I tell you, uh, how do the uh, how do the people down in Bournemouth uh, do they understand what you're saying? No, I've just learned to talk slowly and don't talk, don't talk, Jordy, Andy. That's the biggest thing. That's one thing that people always said to me when I moved over to Cardiff. I moved everywhere that it was, it was you talk too quick or you know what I mean. I can't understand what you're saying, and I was just, I thought it was a wind up for a little bit, and then uh, I don't know, I don't know if I've, if I've calmed myself down or I don't get as excited. I don't know what it is, but I think people seem to understand bits and bobs now. That's why the show's doing so well, mate. Is because people can only understand every other word you say. I'm only playing, of course. Ah, no. I wouldn't have said that if we were in a studio close together. <laughs> you're, bigger, you're bigger than me. I was surprised actually. I was looking at that photo where we met up last year, and uh, I remember I was surprised when we met uh, how tall you were. I always thought of you as like a small, quick striker, and you were good, good six foot. It's a good save, by the way. You've made up for it, there, haven't you? You've, you've made me feel a little bit better. I am, I am very, very, I am very short as well, though. So there is that, you know. No, I'll take it. Um, so, Graham, what we like to do first of all, so where the viewers can get a little taste for what your tastes are, really, is we do the Magnificent Seven, which is effectively seven quick-fire questions where you just answer the first thing which comes to mind. Nothing too tricky. Um, just uh, ease us in nicely. Um, so here we go, the Magnificent Seven. Okay, Graham Jones, the Magnificent Seven. Uh, nice and easy to start. Messi or Ronaldo? Messi. 
Doncaster or Wigan? Wigan. Favourite TV show? Uh, I like a bit of first dates, sorry. I like that. I've not had that one either. We have <laughs> not, a diff- not. different one every week. Um, we are talking about a TV show. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. Uh, angry, angriest teammate? Uh, Gary Brabham. That's a good uh, one, by the way. I, I agree <laughs> with you. Okay. Uh, coaching or playing? Playing. Managing or assistant managing and uh, lastly the greatest englishman who has ever lived <coughs> doesn't, doesn't have to be football related oh my father without a shadow of a doubt great answer great answer. answer i've got an extra extra question uh, i know somebody's uh, asked me to ask, uh, ask another question about um, okay. uh, during your time uh, i'm guessing it was at doncaster uh, who was your best boot boy when you were at doncaster rovers Graham? Oof. Uh, I really don't know, Andy. You'll have to help me out. You know, you you, you want me uh, to say Spady here, huh? I, don't, I want you to slag him off, mate. If I'm honest, I don't want you to say anything good about him. He was a decent boot boy. <laughs> was he? Was he was he? all right. Yeah, he was. was all, that... I think I gave him a fiver at Christmas, Andy. That was it. Yeah, he's, yeah. Well, you get what you deserve, don't you? So I'm, I'm, <laughs> that's all I'm saying. You get what you deserve. So Martin, you got what you deserve, mate. So well done. You got your fiver. Speaking of paying people a fiver, how much did you pay your brother to say that? That's a good. That's a good. That's a good one. That's a good one, by the way. Bang on, on, man. Bang on. Not having, not having that at Bang all. No, I might just boot him out of the chat now. But, but anyway, uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to have a little chat about uh, just some general football stuff to start us off. Um, I think we've got to start with uh, the standard of defending in in not just the Premier League. I think the Premier League, the Championship. I've, I've, I've subtitled this standard of defending equals goals, 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 because um, these first couple of games and the defending has been all over the shop from a lot of teams. It's not even one or two, whether it's Manchester United, it's been Wickham. It's just been it's been unbelievable, mate, all across the board. Yeah, I, I can't really put my finger on it, you know. I, I, I start to think it's the fans. I start to think that with, with them not being there, is there less pressure? Is you know what I mean? Our, our teams, our teams going gung ho a little bit. Obviously, Graham will be able to have an insight and give me, give me, give me, give me what's how he, how he feels is, is his own clubs going. But I look at Liverpool first game of the season against Leeds are all over the place. I look at Man City. You know what I mean? For me, they had an opportunity to close the gap yesterday. Defensively, they were all over the place. And, and they've just, signed you, defenders as well, haven't they, Man City? Well, and they've, and they've just signed another one. I think yesterday or today from, from Benfica. So you give three penalties away in a game. It's it's quite ridiculous, you know. I know we're going to talk about penalties, but those were different penalties than what we're going to talk about. You know what I mean? About yes. getting the wrong side and not understanding where where Jamie Vardy is, you know, you, you can't give a, a player of his quality, for example, you know what I mean, that much space in the box and, and not, not not be aware of where he is. And um, Graham, what's your take on it? What's your take on the amount of goals? What, what, what's going in? Because I'm just not used to seeing this many goals, really. Um, oh, I'd have to go way back, Andy, I think. And just from my time in academies, um, you know, blocking shots, stopping crosses, heading, it's like, it's 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 a bit vulgar now to coach that, and fundamentally that's what uh, that's what good defending is. Mm. Um, also, um, if you're looking at that defensive midfield player's role, I don't see too many um, experts in that area. Everton have signed Alan from from Napoli. Yeah. 
And match of the day, I haven't watched live games of Everton, but match of the day showed some clips. And anybody who wants to see a proper defensive midfield player's role needs to have a look at him. Mm. And it's certainly shown in Everton's re results since the start of the season. Yeah. You mentioned um, defensive midfielders there, Graham. Um, and I find that quite interesting because I was reading something earlier. Um, a couple of years back, uh, well, a few good few years back, obviously Chelsea had Makaleli, didn't they? Um, and then they had, uh, a bit later, they had Kante. But over the last few years, and there was a point where Kante was probably considered one of the best defensive midfielders you know, in the world. Um, but over the last couple of years, he seems to have been used by the manager tactically as a much more attacking midfielder. And I think he's actually lost his effectiveness in the side, so much yeah. so that it looks like they might actually sell him uh, in this window, which is incredible to me. I know he's getting a bit older, but in terms of why they might sell him, but equally... I think even the defensive midfield roles becoming like a lost art, and when you consider that, that's a fairly new phenomenon in in football. It's um, it, it worries me because I used to enjoy watching good defending as much as I would enjoy you know good attacking. Um, but it's a skill itself, though, so isn't it? You know that I'll go. But I'll go back to um, to Arsenal, boring, boring Arsenal, winning one 0 week in, week out. You know that Tony Adams, Martin Keown, Lee Dixon, um, Nigel Winterburn, and David Seaman, they pride themselves on it, on, on clean sheets. And forget who, who came in. You know what I mean? You look at they still kept their shape. They still Steve Bold. You know what I mean? They still kept um, um, the ethos of proper defending. Graham just said there about throwing your body in front of the in front of the in front of the ball. You know, what I mean, they they did everything in their power to keep a clean sheet. Keep a clean sheet was like a goal to them, yeah. and then adding the defensive midfielders of uh, Petit, uh, Vieira. You know, what I mean, United doing it with um, Roy Keane and having Gary Palace, Steve Bruce, Yapstam. Listen, the, top, the the best players die for that ball not to go in the net, and you know, what I mean, that's the difference between um, for me, world class defenders and and not class as world class defenders. You know that you know, what I mean, the the players who, who who do the stuff that nobody else wants you to do, and you know, what I mean, I, I hate the word world class because world class does get uh, branded about left, right, and centre nowadays. Everybody and um, and this Ballon d'Or, you know, what I mean, once you get um, that tag of um, you're in the you're in the top ten or top twelve, top twenty players on it. You know, what I mean you can't have 20 world-class players, you know what I mean? The world-class players are the, the standout world-class players. Messi, Ronaldo, you can't put players in that bracket. You know, it's impossible. Those two are world-class. The Maradonas, the Pelés, you know, it's hard to break in that category for me. And, and the defenders, they're going to have to have some career to break into those those categories. But back in the day, you did used to have defenders in there, didn't you? Like Maldini, uh, Costa Curta and these types of guys. You know, there was a vast array of, if not world-class, you know, Defenders at the highest quality, and I look around now, and if you ask me to name name a world class defender, I'm struggling. Like I do, so maybe I'll put that question to you, Graham. Um, if I asked you to name a world class centre back, like who's the first person which comes to your mind who still plays? I think there's different types, isn't there? You got Virgil Van Dijk's the first one, but he's such a good all rounder. But Liverpool are a very from front foot defensive unit where they'll press the ball high up the pitch so um he doesn't get exposed as much as maybe other center halves mm. the one that i i was privileged enough to work with was vincent company and and vinnie company had um he had all them qualities that i speak about um he wanted to head the ball he wanted to keep clean sheets he wanted to stop shots um 
but he was a leader. He understood the role. He understood back threes and back fours and cover and depth. And um, he's the last one of that generation, what I'd call old school. Um, for me, there's not, there's nobody springs to mind of that style knocking around now. Hmm. I look at I look at JT and I, and I, and I look at. Um, I don't think he ever got the credit that he that he that he thoroughly deserved and, and, and should have got, you know, that I'm not saying he was he was he had the the ability like the Rio Ferdinand had and could come out with the ball, like Van Dyke, the comfortableness of of having the ball at his feet. But I tell you what, if anybody if you wanted somebody line. if you wanted somebody to, to defend properly and, and and put his body on the line from minute one to minute ninety, you know what I mean? You've seen it do it over again and for his country, you know what I mean? There's no better better defender and that's out and out defender. Me. And positionally, he was fantastic. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. You think about the John Terry position on crosses. Mm. Uh, he was like a magnet when he was like, he was like a magnet. Yeah, and that, that was talent. That was a ability to get in the right position. And yeah, there's just so many different styles yeah. of defending. But the old traditional one, mm. for me, is not there as much anymore. You know. No. Mm. Kevin totally Radcliffe agree. still one of the best defenders I've ever seen. By the way, um, I'm not having that. Gavin Ra- Gavin Randall in the chat just said uh, Jamie Carragher and Sammy Huppier world class. I'm not having that at all. He's got to be a Liverpool Jamie, fan, hasn't he? Yeah, he is. He's listed just like there's load of Liverpool fans. But like, like Jamie Carragher was a fantastic defender, and he's and in many other eras he would have got a lot more England caps. But unfortunately for him, he had some world class defenders in front of him. I'm not having hope here at all. So this is um, this is where this is where football becomes amazing because we've all got these opinions. We've all got favourite teams, favourite players, you know, and yeah. our opinions. But and this is where for me the grey area of this this title world class, you know, that yes, I, I can see somebody having a, having an amazing season, two seasons, three seasons. But for me, world class is someone who's who's going to do it. You know, I mean, Graham just mentioned years. there, Vincent Company, you know, who's done it from 10, 20, 15 years. The, the boys who, uh, Ronaldo and Messi, that's always a starter question for me. The, the, the lads who've done it in various countries and continue to do it. Yeah, season after season, isn't it, at the end of the day. Um, so the other part of this question I wanted to ask you guys about before we move on to the, the handballs and stuff was, um, uh, is it just that our uh, footballers these days are proper athletes, aren't they? They're, they're built bigger, they're quicker, they're faster, they're, in many ways they're more skillful. You know, even your central defenders can do all sorts of skills and things and you know their vision and things like this are much better so is it just a case that offensively players are more talented they're stronger and quicker and technically better than they were 20 years ago so defending is just more difficult and then when you add in the rule changes of things like tackles from behind and a shirt pulling being a lot more uh, fussy from the referees is, is it just a case of that the defenders then look but look worse than what they were, or is it? Do you think a combination of both, Graham? I think it's um, the modern coach is an on the ball coach. Um, it's sort of not fashionable now to coach off the ball, um, and it's actually should be the opposite in terms of getting football results. But everybody wants to coach patterns and attack and play and rotation and. Um, you know the the essence of the game really is to score goals first and foremost. But if you keep a clean sheet, invariably you'll get a chance in a game. And um, it's something that I learned to appreciate every time at Luton. Before that, I was I was obviously involved with Roberto, and we we were really attacking coaches, wanted to score goals. I just think that um, the modern coach needs to try and get the balance right between what he does on the ball and what he does off the ball. But for me, the uh, 
the modern coach now is coaching on the ball rather than off the ball. So I totally agree. Sorry, and um, yeah, I just wanted to just check something about that. Um, so, Graham, do, do teams just not coach uh, kind of off the ball stuff at all in day to day training, or is this something which is done like now and again, or is it just not done as frequently as it used to have been done? Um, it's seen as I would say. I would say it's probably a 75-25 split wow, in most football clubs um, because it's not as uh, pleasing to the modern Premier League player to work off the ball. Um, and it's something that, again, I'll go back to my time as Luton manager, that I learned the importance of of that. And um, it's, uh, you know, for, I, I think I've just seen a... a somebody making a comment about our time at Swansea and how we played, but I can assure you the off-the-ball stuff I've learned is is imperative. That doesn't mean to say that you give any less time to, on the ball, but I think the equal balance needs to be there for for the, for the modern player and the modern coach. Mm. I totally agree. We um, we at Middlesbrough, obviously, you know what I mean, with Brian Robson, we, we, we it was the Kevin Keegan style. It was attack, 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 win 4-3, lose 4-3. We, we, we used to get on with it and then obviously... Brian left and Steve McLaren came in and um, he obviously brought in a few coaches. Um, Steve Harrison came in and Steve used to work. Um, it was every Monday and every Tuesday afternoon, um, afternoon sessions, and it was basically defensive drills off the ball. It, was, it wasn't any fun. A lot of the lads seen it as a punishment, Graham. And, yeah. You know what I mean? And until you got your head round why you were doing it and, and seeing the results on a Saturday and seeing um, a... A result which you'd probably win four, three, six months ago, that you're now winning two or three nil or three one, and you're and you're starting to be a little bit more comfortable in the game, and it's and and your and your team ethos and and everything about um, your shape and your formation was just was just a little bit better, you know what I mean? But that, that had to be drilled into players and not just young players, experienced players as well, because we weren't used to doing it. Yeah, I think once you get a buy-in from a player, Andy, in terms of the see the reward for the high press, for example. You know what centre forwards are like. I was one, yeah. you were one. Yeah. If you work hard off the ball and you get your press right, and the reward is you might have a chance, so you might score a goal from it. All of a sudden, yeah. you get a buy-in from a player. Yeah. And that's that's how you have to sell it now. You know, it's a, it's yeah. a massive part of the game. Yeah, that's all you Especially as a centre forward, like you know, you see you see lads with pace. They look, you know what I mean, and, and on purpose. You know, I used to do it when I played that you look disinterested, and all of a sudden you you're onto a a loose touch and. You know what I mean, but yeah, you've got to do it because for me, the high press is 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 perfect for somebody who's got pace. It's someone. It's, it's perfect when you've got uh, some some quick wide players or a or a ten, and you can break in two, threes, and fours. And I just see modern day football. You know what I mean with the uh, with the with the goal kicks and 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 people playing short side. There's probably a reason why people are letting more goals in because they're overplaying. Yeah. Um. You know what I mean. When was the last time you seen a, a proper goalkeeper take a goal kick? Throughout the game and kick it every time religiously, you know what I mean. It doesn't happen yes. now, you know what I mean, because players are um, players are made differently. They want to play football, they want to get on the ball, and um, and unfortunately, ultimately, some players are, are making more mistakes. And I'll use one example, and he's come up on this show quite a lot, Graham um, John Stones. And unfortunately, on this show, John Stones gets a lot of stick from 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 a few a few viewers, um, and because he's high profile, he's made a lot of mistakes because of the way he plays. You know, he comes out with the ball. He's he's not one for just booting it out. He wants to get a ball from a goalkeeper. He's been brought up the right way of playing for Barnsley, Everton, now Man City. Um, and unfortunately, the way he plays, he's going to make mistakes, isn't he? Because he's 
he's overplaying or wanting to play on the ball instead of just kicking it off field. Yeah, I mean, we had John at, at Everton now. We had him for uh, the whole of our three-year spell there. Yeah. And he very... I can, I can think of one mistake he made in them three years losing the ball and a goal being a result of it. Yeah. It's not a bad ratio, Andy, if you that's think right, about how he plays. That's excellent, yeah. But again, John's a modern centre-half. It's the other side of the game that people need to concentrate on with John. Yeah. If they make him defend his box well, if they make him block well, mm. if they make him cover well, if the different um, defensive qualities you need, if he yeah. had that now, mm. he's you know he's still capable of being a, a, a top level centre half. And totally agree. Totally he, agree. He, he wasn't wasteful, you know. He wasn't yeah, a wasteful player on the ball for club and country as well. So that, does that does that upset you then? Obviously, Graham, that that you've worked with these with this kind of player and you and you see and hear the criticism he gets from um, ex-players supporters you know I mean does it does it does it upset you and, and annoy you a little bit well if I had my time back again I'd work I'd work differently with him because he was a young man with us he was 19 yeah. 20 21 coming through we tried to sort of promote the positives that's how we coached uh, rather than concentrating on the negatives but when I look back, that um, that natural talent was was there. It was already there. If we'd have concentrated a little bit more on the other side of the game, I think John might have been a a better all round defender. I mean, he's had a phenomenal career. I'm really proud of what he's what he's achieved. But I think if I was working with him today, I'd be working on different aspects of his game. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd be um, just very quickly, Graham. Do you think? that uh, the last couple of seasons where we've seen quite a lot, maybe not even quite a lot, but we've seen some mistakes from John after having that uh, period under you and Roberto where he, was, you know, he wasn't making those mistakes. Do you think that's just a concentration thing or is that the lack of defensive coaching day-to-day -day so he's not getting that kind of repetition in in terms of defending and drills and set pieces or is it just maybe a concentration thing? Um. What I've been concentrating on in championship football the last three years. His mistakes, were they on the ball mistakes or off the ball mistakes? Um, things like giving the ball away in, in the wrong areas, maybe, or dwelling on it a bit too long. I but think that's, they're the type of things, really. That's not the John Stones that I'm John John was really, he was really tidy on the ball. Um, it was the off the ball uh, sort of area you needed to work at improving to, for him to become the complete defender because he was yeah. capable. He still is. He's still a young man. But that's why he moved, though, Graham, wasn't it? You know what I mean? The, the, these are the reasons why players move. Harry Maguire moved from Leicester to Man United. These players move to, to better themselves and want to become better footballers. They don't move for any other reason because of that. Because no. people can stay at Premier League clubs and, and earn, earn absolute fortunes anyway and, and have amazing careers. So, for me, you're putting yourself under pressure straight away by moving. But, but they've also backing themselves and backing their talents because they're very good footballers. Yeah. I've just named two defenders there. Both massive names and and huge um, players from for our country. You know what I mean. So for me, I need those players flying. Forget the crucifixion, the the, uh, the media crucifying them. For me, pointless exercise. We need we need everybody's got to buy into what we're trying to do. Yeah, I agree with you, Andy. Um, so we were talking about defending. Uh, just very again, just quickly, uh, we saw a, a barrage of penalties in the first two weeks, two weeks of the season, where this handball reasons, uh, handball rule has been changed. Uh, one actually came after the final whistle, which was interesting. I haven't seen this. I believe it's never been done before. Um, 
What did you make of this, and Because it's, uh, if they don't change the rule, which I don't think they can till the end of the season, it's going to be there's going to end up being like 200 penalties this year. Um, I don't see them changing. I don't see how they can change it after what's happened. I'll be honest. I, I, I think they're going to have to. It won't be fair on the teams what, what's happened and what's what has happened to. But then I also do see it from the other points. But then I was talking to someone today about um, if you've got a clever footballer who's good enough in the box to find a little bit of split, little bit of space and flick the ball up onto yeah. somebody's hand. Because let's be honest, a Leo Messi, um, uh, Raheem Sterling, these kind of players who are good enough on the ball in tight areas can flick the ball up onto somebody's arm. Is that a penalty? The way the rules are going at the minute, it's a penalty. You know what I mean? Eric Dyer wasn't even facing the right way. Eric Dyer's it's impossible to give a penalty against Eric Dyer. You know what I mean? Impossible to give it against uh, Lindelof um, for Crystal Palace because he's he's trying to close the ball down. You know that... I watched um, a game. I, I think it was Harry Winks, and he had his he had his hands behind his back. You know what I mean? We can't go back to having having hands behind backs and defending because it's not proper defending. You're losing your balance. You're not you're not defending properly for me. You know what I mean? You, as long as as long as for me that your arms aren't in an unnatural position, and I mean above your head or out wide, then it's got to be it's got to use your common sense. And I, and I saw yesterday the referee looked embarrassed at the Tottenham yeah. game giving that penalty. He looked like he didn't want to give it, but he didn't have a choice, and he was embarrassed. He he wished. That's somebody the made that decision for him. Well, that's what they've been told to do. I'm from everything I've read is that they've you know they've been told that it's a penalty and it's to be given. Um, I think the Leicester one was slightly different because he's jumped with his arm in front of his head and above his head. That's a penalty for me because he's, his arm shouldn't be up there. You know, if his arm's down chest height and Harry Maguire head is it against him, fair enough. He can't do anything about it. But the fact that his arm is up in the air. I believe that's a penalty. It was just weird because it was obviously the he's headed it. The referee's blown the final whistle, and then it's uh, gone into that. But um, what do you make of it, Graham? Because this it feels like we're going to have a lot of handball penalties this year. Well, the one I, I mean, obviously we were playing yesterday, so I didn't see a lot of that, a lot of football. But I seen the Crystal Palace incident with Joe, Joe Ward uh, on Saturday against Everton. And I think Roy Hodgson summed, summed the game up really, really well afterwards. You should be given a penalty for a deliberate handball. That's, that's categorically clear for me. And then he said it's ruining the enjoyment of the game for him. Yeah. Now, I, I was part of VR in one game. I took my Luton side to Bournemouth, actually, in the FA Cup last year. Um, for uh, the third round of the FA Cup. And we had a VAR incident, so really unusual. All of a sudden, the cameras are going in the stadium um, because the championship didn't have VAR, and they disallowed a second goal for Bournemouth. And it was it was a strange experience. It's like the whole stadium pauses and wait for a, a decision from elsewhere. I know now they've introduced the pit side monitors and referee making their own calls, but. Going back to the rule, it's a deliberate handball that stops you from scoring a goal, denies a goal scoring opportunity. And the, certainly the Eric Dyer incident and the Joe Ward incident, that wasn't the case. No, I, I totally agree, Graham. And I, and I, and I feel sorry for, for these managers because uh, obviously Crystal Palace lost. You know what I mean? That would have been a point, you know what I mean? A big point for them, by the way, the way they started. Jose Mourinho, you know what I mean, deserved the three points. You know what I mean, Tot uh, Tottenham absolutely battered Newcastle um, and deserved the points. Yes, people can say that they didn't put they didn't put the chances away, but they they didn't need to put the chances away. The only the only way that that, that, that a goal was going to go in against them was something like that or a wonder strike. And I just feel really sorry for 
um, for football clubs. You know, what I mean, we're all going through a hell of a lot at the minute with no fans and stuff. And to add extra pressure on managers and players and coaches and staff, um, it's just gonna it's it's gonna sap the enjoyment even further out of it because you know, what I mean, fans are having to pay to watch games at home. Um, you know, what I mean, obviously Sky TV, and it's just. It's just no enjoyment, you know. And then when you hear commentators, Jamie Carragher was very passionate. Gary Neville's always, you know what I mean, very, very passionate about what he says. And um, and obviously Michael Richards now, you know what I mean? They're getting all these high-profile uh, pundits who are all singing off the same sheet. So if, if all them are noticing it, why can't someone just use a common sense and just decide that for the best of football, let people who know the game decide what's best for the game? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it should come down to the referee on the, on the pitch. Andy, we spoke about technology taking responsibility away from referees now, but you've still got that second opportunity to go to a pitch-side pitch monitor and make a football decision. Now, they're not making football decisions. They're making uh, decisions controlled by the, uh, the referee and body. And that's a guideline that they're having to stick by. Like you said, I've seen the embarrassment on the referee's face mm. at the top yeah. of the game. It was like... Yeah. It's a decision I've got to give because I've been told mm. these are the rules here. Whether mm. I agree I, I, with it or not. I, I'd love to know, Graham, if, if what was getting said in his earpiece as well. You know what I mean? Is someone saying to him, and just saying the rules, you know what I mean? So if it's hit his hand, it's got to be a penalty. I'm letting you have another look, but I think it's a penalty. You know, Absolutely. Is somebody, is somebody telling him what's going on? By the letter of the new law, it will yeah. be. And they'll have no so, choice. And this is the upsetting thing that he's, you know what I mean? You can see it in his face. He doesn't want to give it, but he's he's under pressure to give it. He's he's, he's not getting any help from his, his fourth official, you know? And I just think it's such a shame because they're getting, they're getting the made look stupid. And every time they go into a game, they're hoping that there's no kind of decision to be made like this. And you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, the referee's made the decision which he's paid to make. And that's the, the, the call which someone's told him to make. So, you know what I mean? Yes, we're all upset about the, the rules and upset about the... Um, the changes what should be made, I agree, but at the, at the minute the referees are the they're the innocent ones at the minute. Yes, they could go against it, but they're never going to go against the, go against the grin. No, but uh, you know that uh, we were in training on Saturday and we had the the Brighton Man United game in the background, and I thought the referee used all the latest technology and the latest rules, and he got every decision. He had some big penalty calls to make. Yeah, he did. He got every single decision correct. Mm. Even the Morpé incident, which was stupid. It was intentional. He tries to stop the header using his hand. That's a refereeing performance that you want. You want to let, allow them subjectively to, to make a decision with the use of technology that aid that decision. And I was really impressed with his performance of the weekend, even though it went against me, mate, which is the Brighton manager, uh, which is unseen, really. He never never heard of uh, blowing a final whistle and then recalling it and apparently winning the game. But I thought the referee and uh, performance was outstanding. Yeah, I think, um, Graham, it's, it's really interesting. I was just having a quick look while you two were, were talking the, to see if there was like a, a new rule change Andy's just coming back he'd lost sound um, and technically there's not actually been a rule change which has caused these decisions what it is uh, is referees have been told that they're to be much more strict with their approach to handballs which I found fascinating because I assumed that there had been a rule change but actually all it is is the rule is that if the body if the hand is or the arm is away from the body outside of the body line or the player leans into it for instance or um basically things which would indicate some sort of deliberate 
handball. But sorry, these don't it, fall under those categories, some of them, and that's what's confusing. It's it's not sustainable. Can you remember, Andy, a few years ago they were given penalties for um, uh, basically grappling at set players yeah. early yeah. season, and then all mm. of a sudden that yeah. stopped. Just stopped because they knew, they knew that they couldn't control that. It mm. was impossible. Yeah. I think the same situation is going to happen here. Let the referee make a subjective opinion with the use of technology, mm. whether it's a penalty or not, whether it's intentional handball mm. or not. That's yeah. Well, I, I totally agree because I think I think what could happen is 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 overnight without even making a big thing of it. If VAR don't get involved with Eric Dyer's handball, the referee's not going to give it. You know what I mean? There's there's all appeals: handball, handball, handball. If VAR doesn't check it, he doesn't give it. It gets cleared. Tottenham potentially break away, go and score another goal that's forgotten about. And we yeah. need a moment We need a moment like that. And then all of a sudden, people will stop talking about it because Steve Bruce wouldn't come on the uh, on Match of the Day and, and, on Sky Sports and go, we were robbed of a penalty there because yeah. he was embarrassed to get the penalty. You know what I mean? He just said, yeah, it wasn't a penalty. You know what I mean? We got beat 2-0 or 3-0 or whatever the score was and just get on with it and make sure that his team is set up differently the following week for, for, for his own team. And I just think it needs a moment like that. And until we get that moment, yes, it's going to upset people what's just happened. But, you know what I mean? But maybe just don't come out and change the rule. Just just keep it. Like Graham said, grappling was, was it's like shirt pulling. You know what I mean? Shirt yeah. pulling was a yellow card. And then all of a sudden it wasn't a yellow card because people were not getting a yellow card for it. It's, rules happen and rules, rules are put in place. But sometimes common sense prevails. And I don't know who decides it. Uh, if yeah. it is referees just saying we're not doing it anymore, or if it is um, the referees' league association saying, "Listen, let's not make a big thing of it, but we're stopping this." And yeah, and do it, it privately. Sorry to interrupt you both. <laughs> could it be that the the FA or whoever it may be are saying at the start of the season, "Let's be really strict on these these rules," whereas grappling or shirt pulling or handballs, let's make it an impact early on in the season. To try and reduce, it doesn't really fit in with handballs, but with the shirt no. pulling and stuff, like to try and reduce it throughout the season overall. If we make a big kind of statement at the start of the season, give some penalties for it, that it'll kind of reduce because the grappling was getting a bit, you know, it was getting mm. ludicrous at one point where he uh, had guys not even looking at the ball. But, but sorry, everything was getting out of hand, you know. I can, I can even go back further about tackling from behind. Tackling from behind was supposed to be a red card offence. It's never, it's, yeah. not, it's never been a red card offence. A tackling for, tackle no, from behind is, be. a, is dangerous, but I've never seen a bad, a, a bad enough one which, which, which affects really a player. You know what I mean? Players try and win the ball, trying to get the ball. It's a tackle from behind. It's not a yellow. It's not a red card. It's, it's a free kick. Get the ball down and move player. You know what I mean? This is a centre forward. You, Graham will tell you as well. You know what I mean? Graham was a lot more uh, harder than I was, but I'm expecting contact. If I get the ball, I'm not expecting a free one to be able to turn and run at, run at the defender. When I get the ball at my feet, I'm expecting someone to come from behind me, take me out, and me not wanting to get the ball the next time I get it. They're not expecting a yellow card. I'm not expecting him to get a yellow. I'm expecting if I front him up, I take him on, he brings me down, he gets a yellow card or worse. You know what I mean? It's, there's so many interpretations for me, and I just think that, that the referees are a little bit getting hung out to dry, and you know what I mean? And they're, and they're, and they're being yes men, and, and for me, we're better than that. English football is better than that. The Championship, um, League One, League Two, the Premier League, especially Champions League, we're all better than this. You know what I mean? And and they keep introducing something every year. And for me, if it's not if it's not broke, why fix it? You know what I mean? All of a sudden, we had people referees stood on the side of a goal. I don't know where they've gone. They've just disappeared all of a sudden. You know what I mean? There's all these things that keep coming out doing and, then, anything. and then going away. Well, the handball's not doing anything. So let's just get rid of that without 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 a, without a possibility as well for me. Uh, I mean, 
dug it. I can't even begin. It's maybe just a directive, like Sai, like you've said from the PGMO. I think it is, isn't it, Mike Riley, who's just said mm. maybe start the season really strong, but it's getting ridiculous. Yeah, especially though the money though and Graham involved in football. You know, you know, you you know yourself from obviously the, probably the fallout of, of Premier League at, at Bournemouth. That um, small margins, fa- moments in football, which can have a huge impact on football clubs. You know that you've seen obviously a lot of players. Uh, high-profile footballers leave your football club because they're not in the Premier League. You know what I mean? Yeah. Obviously, a big a big moment happened last year, um, which involved your football club, which had an impact on your club going uh, into the division they're in. And these things have to be taken out. They've got to be eradicated because we can't afford the multi multi million pound decisions these now. And and if this has an impact later on in the season, we can't say um, Tottenham didn't win the league because they didn't get enough points. No, Tottenham didn't win the league because they were. Because Eric Dyer gave a penalty away. You know what yeah. I mean? Let's be honest. These these decisions can be can be huge. Oh god, yeah. Huge business, Andy yes. now. And but that's why just allow the referee to make decisions. And if he has to use technology to get the decision right, like the referee at Brighton did, just support him on it. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And for me, you know what I mean? The the, the, the humans aren't the game that they're going to make mistakes. Of course, they are. I used to love. I used to love. Um, Referees making a mistake because you know what I mean. That if 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 the if they got relegated to the championship or another league, they used to come back stronger. Used to come back with a with an edge. You know what I mean. Referees used to be back in the day. They used to be good fun to sit, talking to where Jeff went. They used to have a bit of crack and a bit of banter with the referee. Nowadays, it's you can't even look at them in the eye before they have a go at you or look at them in the yeah. eye because there's no there's no camaraderie. There's no fun. There's no enjoyment. No they don't humanity. look like. Well, they don't look like they're enjoying it. So if they're not enjoying it, how can a player look like he's going to enjoy it with a referee? It's just it's madness. the school teacher approach. Yeah, madness, madness. It, is, yeah. it doesn't doesn't make sense to me. Um, very quickly, because this kind of ties in a little bit to what you were saying about small margins and um, and how you know the effect that things can have on clubs, on managers, on players, whether it's leaving or staying. Um, I wanted to talk about the media influence uh, on fans and players and managers particularly the negative side of it. Um, we've had two games of the season in the league. Um, there was some car, a small minority of Cardiff City fans calling for Neil Harris's head after the first game. Um, obviously, this is well, three games in now. Um, there was uh, fans calling for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's head after Man United start. And there was another team, I forget which team it was now. Um, in my opinion, this is created by the negativity that is constantly ploughed out in the media um, it's even whether it's front page or back page it's negative because negativity sells but it just builds this pressure whereby you have two three games of the season you have a bad start and all of a sudden the manager's looking over his shoulder for the whether he's going to keep his job for the rest of the month I think it's absolutely it's scandalous it's, it's, it's quite frightening because the managerial merry-go-round as it's called is already been quite extreme over the last few years but if you're talking about one or two games of a season and the managers under pressure straight away how long is it going to be before it's like one or two games and then the manager's out if he doesn't win um graham at first just before we go to you graham i wanted to ask andy about this because i know you um you've got an opinion on this and then we'll bring in graham for the the managerial sort of side of it I mean, I, I, my uh, my blood was boiling yesterday because I got um, I was getting messages left, right, and centre about Chris Wilder to get the sack because he's lost his first three games. You know, what I mean, I know Chrissy really well because he was my manager at Halifax Town. I've kept in touch with him 
ever since I was an adult, really. Um, mm. And he's, he's been he's been amazing to me. He was amazing when I was a manager. He's been amazing ever since. And he was, for me, he was on par with being manager of the year last year from what he achieved. He should have got it, from, in my uh, opinion. From his last three years of what he's achieved at his hometown club. And, and for people to call for his head, you know what I mean? Because he's had three Scary. tough games. And he's had three three tough football football matches as well, by the way. Um, I just think I just find disrespectful, disgusting, and just to give people a break, you know. That listen, the second season is always harder than the first. That's the first thing I, I said to them. Um, and second one, just give them an opportunity, you know. That 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 we forget about lockdown. We forget about the way that some football clubs um, play and operate. Chris Wilder's Sheffield United operate with a huge fan base. You know what I mean? Their players mm-hmm. dictate sometimes, and other fans dictate the way that they want to want to play. You know what I mean? If you play at Bramall Lane and. And uh, Graham will have been there. That that it's not a nice place to play football. You know, it's quite intimidating. It's very noisy. You know, what I mean, the fans suck the ball into, into the goal, so to speak. And you know, what I mean, the Sheffield United play on that. And without their fans, certain teams uh, can play the different way with no pressure. Sheffield United players and Chris Wilder play and respond well to pressure and fans. So I feel really Sheff- sorry for him. I really do. Chris Wilder nearly got Sheffield United into the Champions League last year in his mm. first season in the Premier League. Just to put that into perspective, the lockdown but now he's, completely but now he's killed a bad their man. momentum. But now he's a bad manager, apparently. Um, what's the managerial view of Rubbish. all that, uh, Graham? It must be difficult because the media just seem to stoke up the fans uh, from a negative point of view. Um, I think f- fundamentally, Sai, as human beings, you learn by making mistakes. Huh? Yeah, so, of course you do. M- managers are no different. Yeah, in in many ways, you actually have to make mistakes in order to to get better. So, like, it's such a huge area for me to speak about. But how can you judge a manager after one or two games? It's Amazing. just we made a decision. Jason made a decision yesterday tactically. Second half, he made a a really good decision that was justified by a clean sheet and a win. Now. At the end of the game, I said to him, I thought that was a good shout. And he said, yeah, this certain player's played in this position before. And later on that night, I reflected on one or two things. And I thought about my time at Luton. I was Luton manager for a year. Now, Jason's obviously had knowledge, because he's been assistant here, of this player and his ability to play in different roles. At... at uh, at, at Luton, after six months, you start understanding that players can play in different positions. And um, it made me realise how important time is for a manager, for assistant, for anybody. So the modern era, might I've got two sons, 21 and 23. They're used to things now. Everything's instant. That's That's... That's the culture we're living in today. So you have to roll with the times as well. But as a football club, fundamentally, you will not have success long-term by chopping and changing. You need to invest in the right person, person who's intelligent, person who's hard-working, person who's committed, the person who's got good experience. And you might just find you'll have a successful football club if you give them time. I totally agree. I totally agree. And I, I, people aren't giving enough time, are they? You know, and it's it's and it's such a it's such a shame. And it's such a cutthroat industry. You know that I do hope. You know what I mean? And and not just because I, I, I know Jason. I know Jason really well. Um, and you know what I mean? Some people who've 
who've been patient to wait for an opportunity like he like he has working with Eddie and working really close with Eddie by the way. He must have learned so much from from an individual, you know what I mean? And and, and using his own ideas, implementing them alongside ideas he's learned is I bet it's uh, I bet it's I bet it's different for you though to um, to work with a um, a different style and a different manager than you have previously, though, Graham. Yeah, I mean, I had done it, Andy, when I when I left Belgium, two thousand and eighteen. I went work with Darren Moore, who's uh, I was assistant to Darren at West Brom. Darren's he's been he's, he's still a lifelong friend. Um, so I'd experienced that. That was that was really refreshing, seeing a different way of working. Um, and obviously coming in and now working with Jason, uh, I've loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, there's just many, many different ways to to find success. You realise that. Uh, I think what's really important for any manager is you have to be authentic. It has to be your way. And as long as you're yourself and you're good at it, you'll be fine. You can't copy anybody. I like nice, nice. Um, all right, so we've 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 been through um, obviously things with any other business. I would like to now obviously focus on you, Graham, and focus on um, uh, at the start. I want to focus on your playing before we go into the questions with um, uh, with with some of the questions that we've got in the in the live chat, which, which yeah. are amazing, by the way. I want to touch on obviously your playing because obviously you said at the start um, playing or coaching. You said playing. You know, I mean, no yeah. one can nobody can replicate playing, and playing doesn't. Um, Playing doesn't last forever, unfortunately, and, and, and however much you love playing, um, it seems to just go in a heartbeat and, and is and is over. And there's a there's a long life after it. But you know what I mean. I don't think anything replicates that 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 thing of playing. So, um, how important um, was starting out in um, in non-league football for you? Because obviously you started out in um, in the Northern League, I'm guessing from the from the teams that you played for. So, how important was that for your development in football? When well, my first club, Andy, was Millwall at 16. So I went there as an apprentice, that, that uh, or, the, or the new YTS scheme. Yeah. Um, was this, was the, uh, uh, if you don't mind me asking, was it was it a similar pay scale as what we were on? Because I was talking to Martin today, and uh, Martin got. And to be fair, I got paid more than Martin, by the way, because Martin told me he was on uh, thirty-six pound fifty, and I got thirty-seven. So I was buzzing. To be fair, I got an extra, <laughs> extra pound. I think we were twenty-seven fifty first year, thirty-five second year, and we. Good jump, that. It was good pay rise. Um, <laughs> Inflation? No, Andy, I started at Millwall. George Graham signed me uh, just before he left for Arsenal. Uh, I went down I went down to Millwall. John Dockley took over as manager. Probably their, um, their best uh, best era. Uh, Sheringham, Cascarino, Herlock. But it was... I Top wasn't sad. ready for it. Yeah. Um, sad. Tell everybody, Graham. Though, tell everybody about the about the old den, because obviously that, you know, what I mean, you, you obviously you love obviously been there and seen. Andy, the old first den. hand. My God, the old den used to walk out behind the Millwall uh, fans, so you had to walk through a cage tunnel, <laughs> and you got no idea what that place was like. Cold blow lane. Jeez, it used to. People were beat before they came. But the culture of, of the players, you know, we had some really good players, but they were tough. Terry Hurlock, Keith Stevens, oh, yeah. Alan yeah. Walker, and Sheringham and Cascarino could look after themselves. And uh, there was a togetherness, um, there was a, a unity. Um, if there was any trouble on the pitch, you had to be in for your teammates. If you weren't, you'd be the one who got exposed. I really think Wimbledon took the lead from Millwall. Uh, their style came because of that 
So, but I wasn't ready, Andy. I came from a good family. I had a, yeah. a, a loving mum and dad. <clears throat> I went down there mentally. I wasn't, I wasn't mature. Yeah. Struggled, if I'm being honest. Came back why, to non-league football. Why, why, Graham? Why, when you say you struggled, is that because you had to move away from home that far? That it was, it was too no, much I of think, a move. I think um, football is a working class game, and I was, I was, and uh, I was doing an apprenticeship with uh, people from South East London and. People had different backgrounds to me, maybe one parent families, uh, different situations. It was it was a it was a tough environment. Mentally I wasn't ready for it. Um, and that that's what happened. I've seen you see it happen to many, many players. Chris Waddle, Peter Beardsley came in, there'll be a reason behind it, it'll it'll morph and not be be similar. That's why non league football can be such a a great place to pick people up. I had five years in non-league football. Now when I look how the academy structure is set up where you go from 18 to 23's football, my 18 to 23's football was playing against men. We we go back to the tackle from behind, Andy. The tackle from behind was, do you know what you used to say to your own defenders in the dressing room? First chance you get, make sure you let them have it. Especially if they could run like you. Yeah, smash him. Smash him. I did, yeah. Andy, I think the t- tackle from behind got outlawed when maybe I was 23. Maybe I'm wrong. Mm. But I was so relieved there because you got digged. Mm. First opportunity, you were getting it. Mm. So I played non-league football. Um, I was very up and down when I looked back in my first three years. But the Newcastle Blue Star, who was the best, it was the best non-league club in the area. They were under, by far under, as well. Under Colin Richardson. And... Colin moved to North Shields. I went to North Shields with Colin. Uh, um, I think he paid fifteen hundred pound for me, and it was a big fee. In that bargain, that mm-hmm. bargain. Girl. <laughs> and then I signed for Bridlington Town, and Colin came. Um, Colin came maybe a month later, and sort of when I was twenty-two and twenty-three, twenty-one to twenty-three, all of a sudden I was starting to become consistent. Knew what it took. Uh, I remember getting 20 goals for North Shields the following season when I went to Bridlington. I got 30 goals in the, the old HFS Loans League. We won the league, won the FA Vars at Wembley. Um, and I was ready. I was starting to mature. And Ken Richardson, the owner of Bridlington Town, bought Doncaster Rovers. And uh, he he offered myself and a lad called Chris Wills, who's still my best nice. friend. He's, uh, nice guys, yeah. Chris, me and him were, were given a trial. I just got married and went, you know, went away uh, to live in Doncaster and managed to sign pro. I signed a two-year contract. Again, struggled that first season. Really struggled. Step up was huge. When I look back now, I was I was game for anything, but it was maybe three or four leagues higher than the one I played in. I got four goals. Played maybe twenty-five games. What a, and remember, Andy, no sports scientists know nothing in them days. Yeah. No, no, no. I remember looking after maybe six months, I thought to myself, I'm not quick enough here to be a, a second strike and I'm not, I'm not uh, strong enough to be a target man. So I thought to myself, I was probably 11 and a half stone at that time. I thought, all right, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to go heavy in the gym here. And we signed Jamie Lawrence from Sunderland. Jamie, oh, Jamie yeah. I love Jamie. Just got out of Nick. Oh, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and Jamie, Jamie had been, he'd been hammering the weights in, in prison. So I said to him, Jamie, I want to get bigger. He says, come with me. And me and him spent, I don't know, five months in the gym. But I was doing the gym every day, and I knew it was at the expense of my performance on the pitch. But I was hoping long-term it was going to take me somewhere. Yeah. So the following season, I, I really beefed up, uh, put two stone on in weight and muscle, and had a, had a superb pre-season, came off the weights, but I'd, I'd, got, me, I'd got me strength. And that season, Andy, I, I managed to get 15 goals and 30 games, really, really uh, my overall game, my all-round game came together um, uh, and signed a new deal, scored 11 goals the following season and then Wigan Athletic paid 150 grand for me at that time. It was a club record fee for Wigan. It was Dave Whelan's Wigan. He just, he just took over and then I managed to, my first season, I got 33 goals, won the Golden Boot, won the league. Um and just uh, you felt established, but you know, all of a sudden now I'm 26, and I went to Millwall 16. This this was 10 years work yeah, yeah. to get to a level where I could consider myself a uh, proper League One footballer. So it wasn't how, easy. how upsetting, Graham, is it is to see um, the state of Wigan now? Obviously, from the club that you went to and the, and the good work that David uh, David done. You know what I mean? Because obviously, the club that I remember battling with Cardiff, obviously when. Um, obviously, you were obviously when I signed for Cardiff, you were still you know, you just left and they brought in other centre forwards, brought in uh, Jason Roberts. I don't know if, yeah. he, if he was still there when you were there, uh, yeah. Duke and uh, Nathan Ellington, yeah, and the Duke. And you know, what I mean, that they were a they were a club who've been in obviously transition to move to the new stadium, they were they were looking a million dollars, and, and the chairman was just buzzing to be around football and 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 build his dream. And, and I look at it now, and I, it's heartbreaking, really. Um, it's it's my club, and they had four years there as a player, and had four years there as assistant um, uh, from two thousand and nine. Uh, and I love the club; uh, it's a great club. And Dave Whelan gave certainly me and Roberto so much because of the opportunities he gave us. And I remember at the time he he, he did it sensibly, Dave, though, because I remember Mohamed Al Fayed signing Pescalido for two million pound in League One. It was like big business. And they've built it slowly, and he built a, you know, in the end, a Premier League club that stayed there for seven years, won an FA Cup, and then to see where it is today, it's been abused, is the yeah. truth, and uh, saddens me. Um, all I think about is its survival, um, that I can cut its cloth accordingly, not rely on um, a money man. Because Dave Whelan was a, a local money man who was there for the right reasons, yeah. so I just hope it goes into the uh, into the hands of the right right owners who've got the right intention and have proper Wigan Athletic people who care about the football club and know the club looking after it. Is that key as well, though, Graham? Because we've we've spoke about this and spoke about um, the whole cities of this world, the Wigan Athletics of this world recently, um, other teams who've who've got um, owners who. I haven't really got the club's best interests at heart sometimes. You know, I'm quite lucky. I mean, I mean, being a Middlesbrough, ex-Middlesbrough player, Middlesbrough fan that Steve Gibson's a... Sir Steve Gibson is um, is, is is just a, amazing. He's a hero at the football club because he's he's built a football club the right way. He's stuck by a football club the right way and, he's, and he cares about the club. 
Yeah, and he gives his managers a chance. Uh, so uh, he, yeah, well, yeah. yeah, well, he does. He gives you, yeah, he does, yeah. he gives you an yeah, opportunity does, yeah. to work, and I think, yeah, he does. I think the 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 biggest compliment I pay Steve is from the managerial game. He's seen as somebody throughout uh, the football world that you somebody you'd want to work with. Because, yeah, and I think a lot of people have said that though. A lot of people have said. I know Neil Warnock publicly said he said to me personally. Um, he said that he's asked him to work for him seven or eight times, and he, you know, what I mean, it hasn't been the right time, and then all of a sudden, it's just, it's just, uh, timing's everything, I guess, sometimes, and, and you know what I mean, it's just it, perfect timing now that Neil's there. He's hopefully gets a little bit of success for my football club, and um, we can have a little bit of a swan song with <laughs> with a Cardiff City hero on a full claw, a full claw. So, like, fingers crossed with that one. But no, um, going back to your career, um, obviously, you spoke about Wigan, a, a, a happy time in your in your life. Um, and then what happened when you when you when you left Wigan, Graham? That you obviously went up to Scotland, um, and then what happened towards towards that and towards the end and towards the coaching? When does coaching start to become a uh, something that you wanted to pursue? Did it did it start at a certain time in your career, or did it did you wait till you finished? No, when I went back in under twenty three, I made myself a promise I, w- I wasn't coming back out because I'd okay. I'd been a postman, I'd been a sheet metal worker, I'd been a lagger. Uh, I went to college. I knew how difficult. Well, uh, life was outside of football, yeah. and I knew privileged uh, I was to be in it. So I studied. I qualified as a teacher. Uh, I got my license as early. I was 29. I was an air license holder at that time, which was very few. Yeah. yeah. But just before I go on the coaching, Andy, the, my experience at St Johnson was brilliant for me because I wasn't a top level player. My my level was League One, League Two. That's what I. That's what my ability took me to, in the Scottish Premier League. But at that time, the Scottish Premier League was the best it's been. You had Martin O'Neill Celtic and you had Dick Advocars Rangers. So at that time, six times a year, you're playing at Ibrox and you're playing at Celtic Park. And tactically, the uh, education I got, particularly playing against Advocars Rangers side, was invaluable. And it was invaluable for the level that I would end up working in coaching um, because I've seen how how important possession football was and positional play. And I was, I felt like I was getting educated on the pitch. The concentration levels to be perfect tactically from my team's point of view against, against Celtic and Rangers at that time was, was, was phenomenally different to what I'd experienced in League One, League Two, where it was a, it was a boxing match at times every week. Yeah, yeah. So I think when I look back, that education was important. But it was no more important than what non-league football was as well, because I can speak yeah. about every level of the game. And yeah, I totally, totally agree. And and that 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 really that really set me up. I was a bit of a nomad, Andy. After that, I had been I was injured for thirteen months at St Johnson. Went to Southend. Went to Boston United in League Two. Went to Bury. Went to Clyde. Went to Hamilton. I was earning a living as a mm. as a, a, a a journeyman football at that point. So the rest was. Uh, I think the best bit was over as a player when I was 30, but we have yeah. to make a living as well. That was my occupation. It was interesting, though, what you say about that, about, about Scottish football, because I say I was fortunate enough to uh, to play a season in, in, in the Scottish Premier Dunfermline. And, you know what I mean? Yes, you look forward to playing against the Celtics and the Rangers, but you know yourself as a centre-forward, you're not going to get much of the ball. You know what I mean? I I tended to, to move out probably wide when we played Celtics and Rangers because we played one up. So, we obviously, we defended a little bit deeper. We let them have the ball. And it was, like you say, it was... Uh, it was such an education because, you know what I mean, you're playing in front of these big stadiums and these big crowds and you didn't touch the ball for, for yeah. so long periods. I and mean, when you got the ball, you had to do something you have to do something with it. It wasn't about probably scoring a goal, it was about 
it was about looking after it because you didn't want to be the one to give it away because then Don't everyone else is going to be on your back because you know I knew important out I knew important out was of our possession because you know I mean you're playing them six times in a season we were lucky enough to then play in the Scottish Cup final and I'll be honest I'd love to see the stats from the game because. I can't remember having the ball myself longer than probably 30, 40 seconds in the whole game because it was a, it was more work off the ball. I came off the pitch so tired after about 70, 75 minutes that I was so drained because of the whole occasion, the game, the effort we put in. And you do it all because of the love of the game because you, you know for a fact, you, chat, you, you sometimes you're playing to keep the score down because you know for a fact you get one goal, you know what I mean, at the time, Chris Sutton, like Henry Glass and uh, Sean Maloney, Roy Keane, you know what I mean, it was John Hartson, it was just relentless. The kind of players that they could pick on the bench in the squad in the side it was just outrageous but it was a great experience for me personally and something that I, I wouldn't change for the world there was there was definitely a gap <laughs> technically oh, huge, huge huge Andy, but it was it was a good experience anyway for them yes. reasons that you've just yeah. said I think What's I just got I, I, I got me love for me running that that season but the Scottish League, what's the equivalent for you to the to the English pyramid or the British pyramid? Like, because people often say, "Oh, the Scottish League is not up to much," or is this or is that? Like, what what league do you feel is the equivalent for like the Premier uh, Scottish Premier and the League One? In the uh, well, I think but, it's the Scottish Championship now. At no? that time, Sai, si, yeah, Rangers and Celtic were a, were a Premier League. Would have definitely played in the Premier League, but yeah. I remember Hearts and the. This is my time there was ninety nine to two thousand and two. Hearts and Hibs, Alex McLeish's Hibs side, yeah, good is side. as good a side as I've ever played against. Yeah, with, good side, yeah. They had Sose, who Frank Sose, who was a sweeper, yeah. played a back three, who won the European Cup with Marseille. They had Russell Latapy. They had they had incredible players, and um, uh, Dundee had uh, Kenija. The Argentinian. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. that was a really good level and a good yeah. experience. Yeah. Um, so I'd probably say them two Premier League, the, the likes of your Hibs and your Dundee and your Hearts at that time, would have definitely competed in the championship. So it was, mm. I don't know how you felt, Andy, I felt like it was probably English four league standards wise mm. spread in the Scottish Premier League. Because yeah, no, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think you can only judge on the the time that you're there, Sai, you know, the, the, Dick, the Dick Advocate manager, you know, that it's a different level, the kind of players that he goats. was able to bring in, you know, that he was, the football that they played, the attacking players they had, the defensive players they had, you know what I mean? They had, they had world-class footballers at the time, you know what I mean? Really? National players who'd, who'd won leagues around the, around the globe. Arthur Newman, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, Won Champions Won Champions yeah. Leagues, you know that, and the same as same as with the time I was there, you know what I mean. And, and I look at the Celtic team. Obviously, Celtic were, were in a transition. They, they'd brought in Roy Keane, Henry Larson was back, uh, John Hartson. You know these, these, these players, Nino yeah, these, yeah, these players had won. <coughs> these players had won champion, uh, Premier Leagues in England. So you know what I mean. It's so <laughs> difficult to. I, I, I look now, and I see the transition which which Rangers are in from obviously being demoted the seasons. Like Stevie's done a great job in in getting them. Fighting towards a title, he's building I still think I still think the miles away from the Premier League. I'd love to see them in the Championship yeah, and battling with with English with English English players. Yeah. Um, Celtic, I think the same. I think you can't put one in without the other. So I think they, they, they both have to fight in the same league. Um, but would they be would they be fighting for a top six? Of course they'd be fighting, but it'd be so difficult because if you if you if we had Graham, if we had fans and fans were at Ibrox in the Celtic Park and there were 65,000 fans and. And seven thousand Celtic fans were travelling to to Bournemouth on a Saturday afternoon. You know, I mean, that's how fanatical they are, and it'd, yeah, it'd yeah. make football 
like make it fascinating, it'd be amazing. But I think Celtic, you know, I mean, you see them struggling a little bit now at times in, in certain games because there's no fans there because their generation of performance level sometimes is having 65,000 fans on your yeah. on your side and against St. Mirren's and Dundee United's and Dundee's and Hibs and Hearts and Aberdeen's, etc. But, you know what I mean, the old firm games, uh, yeah, listen, I'd love to see them north of the border, but I'm, I'm just not sure who's whoever's going to make that decision and, and get that get that going. But, I don't think it'll ever happen, Andy, but no. I think it's a good comparison. Mm, totally agree. My idea was to have the league, have the Scottish teams included in the, in the League Cup, but anyway. Um, I, but I think that's a good idea, Si, and then we'd, we'd see if it would be if it would add to our league. You know, mm. our well, it, it got trial, didn't it? Well, it was a, the Iron Brew Cup was, um, which is a great name, by the way, for any cup. The Iron Brew Love Cup it. is the best name ever, better than the Coca Cola Cup and the Carling Cup. Um, but they had um, Scottish League one, two, and three sides against Irish and Welsh. I think it was, and you know what I mean. If it was just a project to, to, to see if it worked. I think it would learn. I think it would work, and I think it'd be great for British football uh, to to have the best of the best, and then there'll be no arguments, and then we'll be able to really see if uh, if if people go upset the apple cart. Let's yeah. see. But before we uh, before we touch on your unbelievable um, uh, uh, career in coaching, Graham, we've got some uh, we've got some great questions, by the way, on uh, for the group yeah, chat. So do you want to pick some out? Yeah, I'll pick a couple out. Uh, so Donna Perry asked, "Hi Graham, what's your opinion opinion of Kenilworth Road uh, and the setup of the whole stadium? It seems like a bit of a tourist attraction for away fans to visit." I think it's a big, uh, I think it's a big um, advantage for for Luton um, because the the stadium is different, but it generates a fantastic atmosphere. And when when the home crowd really really gets behind you, it's it's a difficult place to go and get uh, to go and get points. You look, don't you? At, um, at the times have had good cup runs, you know. What I mean, I, I think there was one game in particular. It was it Scott Oakes when he scored a hat trick in the FA Cup? I think he scored. Uh, it was a three two win against. Uh, I'm sure it was Liverpool. Um, and then you're going back years ago with Mark Steen and all those kind of guys that who won the League Cup. Uh, and going back donkey years, by the way. Now the, the the ground doesn't change, you know. It's just obviously gone from all seated stadiums and. And things, but you know what I mean. Kenilworth Road was all always those places that we, everything was on top of you. You know what I mean. I remember yeah. being sub. I remember being sub there once, and obviously you've got the um, obviously the the strange setup having you between behind the behind the dugouts, which is like um, I'll call it directors' boxes, but it was like different seating to everywhere else, and it was just really surreal that you that it's so different to everywhere else, and there's no no ground exactly the same as that, and it, it did make it very different and very surreal. Yeah, no, it's uh, it is it's an interesting ground. Um, I've got a feeling you've answered this one already, but I'm going to ask it just in case there was one which was even more intimidating. Uh, James Costley asked, what's the most intimidating ground you ever played at? Oh, that's a question. Uh, um, ever played at? Probably um, Stokes ground. Okay. Um, it was... Uh, I think if you you upset the Stoke fans, you'll you'll know about it. And we did this day at Wigan. I agree. Yeah. Was that was that, was that was that the new ground or the or the old? No, one? the new the new one. The new one. Andy, we, it was. Whew. We upset we, we upset them in a, in a playoff semi final side. Um, oh yeah. And I remember so that was a semi that was a, that was the first leg of the semi final before they knocked us out in the other semi final uh, the second leg. But I remember warming up and there was just absolute riots and it was just you just didn't know where to look. You didn't dare move. You just I just stood still stretching up and that nobody nobody hit it you. Come, it come off the end here. Yeah? 
They'd cough yeah. together. Oof. Yeah, they do. Yeah, it's awful. I don't know what the old ground was like. It's Sorry. awful. Uh, well, I've, I've spoke obviously Graham Cavanagh and Peter Thorne, and they they used to say that it was really intimidating to play for both teams as well. And you know, I mean, old grounds they always have that. Um, you know, I mean, but fans, it's the fans Extra who make the edge. it's the fans who make the stadiums. The fans move from stadium to stadium. We we spoke. Um, um, I don't know about the, this, the, the, the the acoustics in some of the new stadiums because of the way they're built. It just it's not the same. No. Like, well, I, it's I, just not. Fans are a big mess, lads. Yeah, I totally big, agree. Big, well, I, I won't say I won't say this is a this is a highlight or, or a good thing, but I was I wasn't lucky or unlucky enough to play obviously the the old den, but uh, played at the new den once, and to be honest, I didn't enjoy a minute of it. I got absolutely tortured for for a. <laughs> I think it would have been an easy show, Andy, for me yeah, to say the new den or the old den. I was. It was that is that, notorious. That was that was that was tough. It was a tough. Tough night. It was, um, yeah. We, I don't, there's not many teams who, who come away from Millwall either with the result or enjoying the game. You know, what I mean, yeah. if you get both from 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 that fixture, you you're either a very good footballer or, or very lucky. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Ninian Park is still there, still the best. By the way, just to, just to, I forgot about Ninian make, Park. Make sure everyone knows that. That's another um, tough one. A gentleman called Stuart Campbell says uh, another cracking question. What a gentleman. Uh, he says, "How important is diet to the modern player?" Um, question. I think uh, that's it's me, dad. By the way, Graham, he's full of he's full of yeah. these amazing questions. He's just uh, he's took him he's took him like six months to get a decent question out. Do you know, Andy? It's not just diet. We're talking about lifestyle. So yeah. if you want if you want to be a, if you want to be a modern championship Premier League player, even League One, League Two, I've eight hours sleep every night. Don't drink alcohol. And have three sensible meals a day and train every day. That'll keep you on the training pitch every day. Keeping you on the training pitch every day will allow you to improve. And it's a simple formula that the majority of professional footballers can't stick to. It's madness. Which is madness because we, we just spoke earlier on me about um about how short a career can be and having no regrets and you know what I mean? It's such a it's such it's so different, you know that the Graham, you know, I mean, drinking culture when when I played and when you played was it was off the wall. It was it was, you know, I mean, you had to be able to drink to to be able to socialise, to be able to be part of a group, to be able yep. to to be, be accepted. You know what I mean? You had, to, you, had, you had to be, and, and unfortunately, unfortunately, it was just it was just a skill that you had to learn. And if you didn't learn it, you had, you didn't have a choice. You had to get on with it and do it. And yeah, it was uh, it, it was wasn't no big, education, it wasn't, Andy. About it wasn't big or, wasn't big or clever, but it was just the thing to do. We used to. Used to be able to still perform the next day or two days later and just get on with it and do it. I think when you're younger, you get away with it. You start getting older. Yeah, it catches up with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Gaz asks, uh, would Graham like to work with Roberto Martinez again in the future? Uh, oh, that's a question. <laughs> that's um, a question, by the way. Uh, I don't know, really. I've never really thought about that since. I, 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 I mean, I love Rob. Rob's, Rob's like a brother. Uh, to me, but I left Roberto to become a manager. That was that was the reason I left him, and um, and I did that. So that's one I've never really thought about. So in a predominantly Cardiff chat, generally a lot of our viewers are sort of Cardiff fans or Welsh fans. Um, a lot of praise for kind of your time with Roberto Martinez, including your time at Swansea with Belgium. Um, and the way you guys used to play football. And I think that says a great deal about the 
way you your teams used to play and the enjoyment that it would give all fans, not just fans of Swansea or Belgium. So I think that's a tremendous compliment, to be honest. No, it is. It's nice, Sire, but the compliment comes about because our side of play um, got football results and uh, uh, won games. That was that. That's that's normally the reason you get a compliment. And Who, whose philosophy was it, though, Graham? You know, what I mean, was it a joint philosophy? Was it, yeah. was it someone's idea? Was it how, how did it how did it all come about? Because you can't just overnight play like that, can you? It must have taken um, some effort to do it. Uh, Andy. Remember, we've all got different influences. Huh? So my influence was Kevin Keegan. I'm a Newcastle fan. I used to go and watch Kevin Keegan's teams play. Watch, I used to watch him play. Uh, loved it because I loved attacking football. Me and Roberto, I'd bought a house in Scotland, in Scotch Corner, uh, where when I look back, madness. When I was a Wigan player, travelling every day, and Roberto <laughs> says to me, Graham, why don't you stay with me twice a week instead of doing all the travelling? So I stayed with Rob. Me and, end up, me and him ended up, we were friends anyway, ended up big friends. All we talked about was, was football. Um, he's from a, a, a culture at that time um, from Spain, which was was uh, a turn possession based. It wasn't possession based so much at that time, but it was a different angle. Yeah. So when we went in at Swansea, we had different influences, but we, we learned together. It was me and him. And... Um, Roberto, people forget Roberto was player manager when we went in at Swansea. So I was left to the coaching quite a lot, especially mm. in the early years. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, it was just, uh, it was a possession-based game that we wanted of attacking football with positional play. And we wanted to, wanted to control the game on the ball. And it stood us in good stead for, for 12 years. Mm, I totally did. And it was, it was, it was more for me about not being in possession. You know that 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 the way that you played with your high press and your pace when you got the ball and moving the ball. It wasn't just a, it wasn't just, it wasn't a boring, repetitive way of playing, was it? It was about uh, playing front foot football. It was about being being effective when you got the ball as well. But Andy, we always promoted uh, natural talent. So when I look back to Swansea with Andy Robinson. It was a right-footed left wing and Lee Trundle. Good player. We, we would never Good ask player. them two to do some of that. Mm. We thought that was de- detrimental away from their talent, would enhance their talent. Then I can yeah. think of going to, to Wigan with Hugo Rodelega and Charles and Zogbia. You know, we, you have to set certain teams up that they're not doing things. For example, ask Charles and Zogbia to, to track the left fullback all the way to the byline to stop a cross. You'd be wasting your time. Yeah. So we'd have to set the team up differently in order to get the best out of him. And we always enhance natural talent. That's why the possession-based, the attack and football uh, suited certain players that we had through the years. Then you go on to Everton with, with Lukaku and Gerard Delafeo and Kevin Morales and different different players that we... Samueletu, people that we, we, we work with that we never wanted to take what they were fundamentally away from is that key then, Graham? Is it? Is that? Is that looking at a player and trying to get the best out of the out of their attributes? It's not about getting them to do more for the team, so to speak. It's about making them better players, but finding the best way of getting the best out of them. Well, it's uh, number one. The talent needs to be worth it, Andy. So, if the talent's worth it, you need to build a team around that talent. So 
that talent can be off the ball. Well, yeah, some outstanding yeah. off the ball players. Yeah. But if it's on the ball, then don't ask them to do things that they can't do. You've got to get you balance your team right to yeah. make sure you give them an opportunity to let their talent succeed. That's so yeah. refreshing to hear. It that is. is. It's fascinating. Because how many times do you hear a manager in an interview say, um, like, kind of like try and not lump all the players together, but kind of say, oh, it's a team game, this, that, and it, which of course it is, but like try, try and take the focus away from the one star player, if you like. And I'm not saying that it's new. It is, obviously, it's a team game and stuff, but it's it's fascinating to hear. Um, one thing I did want to ask, uh, Graham, was... Oh, it's completely gone. Oh, nightmare. On, on, on that point, it's completely think, gone. Great I think, question. Uh, I think I think Graham's Graham's answered my question earlier on about 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 why wasn't I as successful as a manager because I think I was asking players to do things that I uh, wanted them to do, not what they want, not, not what they could do. Basically, I think that's what. But that, that's that's an that, that I don't mean this horribly. This is that's an English culture to overcoach, and mm. yeah, we we get overcoached in this country. Mm. Uh, we're not creating robots. Don't ask yeah. people to do things that they can't do naturally. Yeah. Assess what they are fundamentally first. Yeah, totally agree, and I think, and I think that's probably focusing on the level you're working at as well, isn't it? And the players that you're working with, and and, and understanding that there's a, probably a reason why these players were, were playing at the level that I was I was coaching at the time, and me wanting to get to another level before basically trying to run before I could walk. I think you know, what I mean, yeah. is, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, we you know. um and we we talked just just this past Friday, didn't we, about um, teams trying to or managers trying to force tactics rather than looking at what maybe the players they've got available so instead of trying to you know work out a formation and tactics to go with what you've got some managers come in with the right this is the way i want to play this is the tactics i'm going to use and it's, like you just said they want to run before they can walk and they haven't got the players to to achieve that goal yet and then it doesn't always come off like uh, who was it? And uh, last year, who kept trying to play from the back, and they kept making the same mistakes in the championship. Oh, it was Derby, wasn't it? Derby. They yeah. kept they kept passing the ball to Keo, and he kept losing it, and they kept Bless. scoring, and they just kept Bless doing him. it every Bless week. Mm. And it was you know well, difficult. Sorry, I think players pick your players pick your your tactics. Players pick your shape. You need to be flexible enough as a coach. To understand that and implement that, you can't go in with a premeditated idea that I'm going to be a four-four-two man. You got to get in the building. You got to see what people are, and you see if you can get partnerships right, get the balance right, and maybe if your players are good enough, you'll have a successful, successful team. But you said earlier on, though, you said earlier on there, Graham, about uh, Jason made a brave call yesterday in the Norwich game. Obviously, one-one-nil kept a clean sheet. So, how important is it to make these? big decisions, these big calls, be flexible with your formations and your tactics because I see a lot of teams who are playing similar formations, uh, 4-3-2-1 or whatever people, 4-5-1, whatever you want to call it and they stick to it religiously and they don't, they're not flexible with team selections or tactics, they're just sticking with the same thing week in, week out. So how, how, how good is flexibility? Oh, Andy, that's the school I'm from. That's all I know. Um, I think them decisions come about when you've got good knowledge, good experience of them players because you know if they're capable of doing it or not. But then that's one method of work. Another method of work, for example, is 
um, Tony Pulis's work or Roy Hodgson's work, where they know what system they're going to play and they recruit yeah. based on players who they think can play in that system. That's absolutely fine. Yeah, the clear identity either way of of working. It's I, I know you will have. I certainly have. When you work under a manager with, I'm talking about me as a player with no method mm. of work, mm. and he's hoping yeah. for a result. That's when you feel yeah. vulnerable as a footballer. Mm. So totally agree. There's two different ways of doing it, mm. and it's difficult, though, Graham, isn't it? Because you you look at as a, as a, from a player's point of view that. Um, let's use Tony Pulis as an example that he likes his big target man he likes uh, somebody to run off him for example as a quick centre forward so for me personally it would have been great that I could have played with a with a bigger player big target man um, Crouchy but then Crouchy all of a, Campbell yeah but then all of a sudden a new manager comes in uh, and I'm being asked to play a different role I'm asked to play a different uh, in a different way I don't like it I can't settle yeah. All be, you know what I mean, and it's so difficult because you know what I mean. You, you you suit one manager's tactics, but another manager comes in and it just doesn't work out for whatever reason. And that's the the flexibility for coaching, but and players as well. It's important for both. It is. It is, Andy. It's uh, that's why there's so many opinions. It's not straightforward. Yeah, no, so, and that, and that's where you know what I mean. And, and when I it's so disrespectful when people say. You know what I mean? And I'll use Chris Wilder as an example. He's a good manager, he's a bad manager overnight. And that's the difference to cut through. It's, it's, it's crazy, because, it? you know what I mean? One minute McBurney is the best signing in the world, the next is the worst signing in the world. You know what I mean? It's just it's just a load of rubbish. And I, I, I get people can have an opinion, but have an honest opinion and look at the bigger picture. Look at the last two or three years. Don't judge somebody over a 90 minute performance because we've all had. We've all had shockers. We've all had amazing games. But, you know what I mean? We don't judge ourselves on a great performance because we know Tuesday night we could have the worst game in the world and we could be dropped by next Saturday. So, it's, 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 you've got to be realistic as well. Yeah, I think you have to look at the variables. So, there's variables against Chris at the minute. He's got injuries. Mm. He's dealing with second season syndrome. Mm. He's signed new players. And he's got different challenges to deal with. He'll overcome yeah. because he's yeah. overcome every challenge that he's had before. It's just a matter of time, so... Mm, totally agree. People need totally to agree. Totally um, agree. Graham, from what you've said, it seems like you, uh, as a player, up until now, as a, as a coach, you've, you've changed a lot as a person, and, you know, both professionally and personally. Um, and Richie asked, uh, which player and coach did you look up to before and then after your playing career? So did it basically did, did yeah. which players did you look at? Um, I think because I was working in Middlesbrough Academy for three and a half years, uh, when I was finishing playing, I really looked up to Dave Parnaby. <clears throat> Dave Parnaby was uh, my example, and still is today, really, of what a coach should look like and how a coach should act. Uh, he was knowledgeable. He was clean living. Um, he was uh, enthusiastic. He loved the game. Uh, he had passion for his club. Um, he had passion for his job. And he was a great example for me of what a coach should look like. I think me now as a coach, um, we just played Man City on Thursday night in the Carabao Cup. Pep Guardiola is an, he's a, he's an absolute... He's a genius. He's... And, at the minute, who's getting stick? Pep Guardiola, mm. which is, is just incredible that people can talk about his product 
He's been the brightest football manager in terms of the method of work that I love, which is to score goals for the last 10 years. So I would probably talk about them two people now. Absolutely. Um, I like it. I like it. Okay. The question, uh, sorry, I've got a question for you now, Graham. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier on about, about, about um, uh, a good friend of yours, Chris Wales. Uh, obviously, I know he's, he's a manager now. Does he, does he ring up and ask for advice and help and support? Um, like me and Chris are best friends, Andy. So we went to school together and played together at Bridlington Town, played together at Dundas Rovers. He's manager at Dunstan Fed now. Yeah. Talk about hard players, by the way. He was a hard player to play against. <clears throat> he was the oldest player ever to score Wembley. He was 44 yes. for Morpeth in the FA Vars final. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He finished playing when he was 47. Like you're talking about a fantastic lad. Good He's lad. that single minded, Andy. He's never asked for advice from me once. That's enough. Fair play with him. I like Not that one. one. I like that. I like that. And do, and do you so know what? He wants he's, to do it his way. That's his way. He's done it really well as well, you know. You know, I mean, how he's how he's progressed. I don't I, I'm, I'm guessing you've you've kept up on how well he's done and how successful he's done. And you know, I mean I hope I hope lockdown doesn't have a, an adverse effect on the club, you know what I mean? Because I know obviously finance wise, you know what I mean? Obviously people are dictated to uh, about players coming in and stuff, because we're in a tough league as well, we're travelling and and without yeah. any money coming in, so I really hope for for the, for the local clubs in the area who are at that kind of level that they do get an opportunity to to keep progressing and Chris can can go easy, where and yeah. see where it takes him. No, ah, but he'll problem. he'll be successful whatever he does. And yeah. love it, quality. Um, so the last sort of little bit of the show, where uh, Graham, I was hoping to talk about your time at Belgium. We had a couple of questions about it as well. So I guess we'll start with Donna's mm. question to kick us off, which was, did you enjoy your time at Belgium and how did you feel about playing England? Was it strange? <laughs> uh, I, I, I absolutely loved my time in Belgium. <clears throat> um, me and Roberto had a move there, so we, we were full-time. We lived in Waterloo in Belgium. Um, and it was... We'd have seven years straight in the Premier League, um, 265 games. We left Everton with one game to go. So I think the job came about at a great time because we could reflect on our method of work whilst working with the best players in the world. But you're doing that you know, for five camps a year. And in between that, meaning with the scouts, so we were travelling all over Europe watching the, the best games in the world because all our players were at, the, were at the best clubs and we were also learning... Um, you know, within that, I think at the time we had Hazard with Condi, we had Lukaku with Mourinho, we had De Bruyne with um, Guardiola, we had Jan Bertongen and Toby Alderweireld with uh, Pochettino, we had Dries Mertens with Saki, uh, not Saki, uh, the boy who went to Chelsea. Uh, um, sorry, sorry. So, like, you're looking at games, and different styles was incredible. So, from an education mm. point of view, it just it didn't get any better. So, it was a it was an incredible it was an incredible job. Um, it's crazy, isn't it? Cra- was, crazy the names really It's unbelievable. Crazy the think... kind of players, the pl- kind of players who come through that 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 generation. Andy, I'll never have a bigger, bigger challenge in my life than working with that group of players under one roof. How did you find your first your first session? So the first time you, you took all those kind of players for training? It just I mean, it didn't bother me. And I was well experienced. I was seven years in the Premier League. It didn't bother me. I just looked yeah. at them like they're another player. Yeah. They're another player. But I love that. What I, I realised quite quickly was you had to do a hell of a lot to get their respect. 
Yeah, yeah. Because don't forget, who's Graham Jones? You've got the managers, Roberto Martinez. Whether the managers you and, you get instant respect because yeah. you're going to pick the team. Yeah. The second assistant manager was Thierry Henry. All yeah. these boys had grew up. Um, Thierry was their hero. Mm. And I was Graham Jones, ex-non-league, from Gateshead. And by the end of it, I got my respect because mm. of because of my work, because of my consistency. And uh, I was sad to go because I probably reached the, my best point when we beat England and got a bronze medal in the World Cup. I probably, at that point, felt really comfortable in the job, but I had other ambitions and it was it was time to go. But, mm. you know, I'd rather just remember the the good times that I had there because yeah. I left on a high. Yeah, totally agree. And, and something that you obviously you should, should be extremely proud of yourself, apart from getting the bronze medal from England, by the way, that's obviously not something you're proud of, but Sai will be happy with that one, will you? But Andy, you know, <laughs> I can... That day, going to the game, it meant something because you were playing for a medal. Yeah, totally you know, agree. Yeah, if you finish fourth, you get nothing. Yeah, I know. And, we, and we, that, were, that, that, we were at it. Yeah, that must be that, that must be very strange as well, though. You know what I mean? Because you're going into a you're going into a major tournament, and it's it, it means something. You know, it's something that you, you, that you got forever. There's not many people in the world who get who get those, that that kind of recognition, is there? You know that, especially now the, the the World Cup's even bigger, isn't it? More teams. You know what I mean? Even harder to win anything yeah. and get get to the get to the quarterfinals, semifinals. Now it's a it's a huge achievement. So to get even further is even better. But uh, we played England twice as well, and I'm a proud Englishman, and I love Gareth Southgate. Because he's was so fortunate to have somebody like him at the helm. So that was difficult. I done my pro license with Gareth, and I'm looking at him thinking, "I want to beat you here because mm. you have to." And you, and you did, and we did. Yeah, we beat them. We beat them twice. Twice, and, um, and we got, I got a medal for it, and that that's that. That was the motivation. But we weren't messing about. We didn't go there. Um, I remember having a bit of a a bit of an argument with Marouane Fellaini at half-time in the third and fourth place playoff. And he looked at me, they all call you coach and on the continent. Coach, are you joking? I went, no, I'm not joking. This is serious business here. Marouane, I want to win. And we went to winning the game because we were desperate to get that, desperate to get that bronze medal. So, and it's something you can keep, you know, keep with you, stays with you for the rest of your life. Totally agree. Um, Graham, you mentioned obviously the the massive list of unbelievable talent which Belgium had uh, and still does at their disposal. Do you um, obviously you were living in Belgium? What was the the media pressure and expectation like in Belgium for what that team could achieve at, the, at that tournament? Because obviously, if you put those players in a England jersey, and you're in England, the media would have been unbelievable. They would have been built up to something, you know, to like fever pitch, the pressure would have been so big going into the tournament. So I'm kind of interested in what it was like in a different European country. Um, pressure was huge because it was the golden generation. And in in the media's eyes, they hadn't delivered. They got to the quarters of the Euros, got knocked out off Wales. They got to the quarters in Brazil um, and got knocked out of Argentina. And the boys felt the pressure. Um, they really did. Uh, and then coupled with that, we made the decision to leave out probably the most popular player in Belgium at that time, 2018, was Rajan Angolan. Uh, um, he's, he's, he's a maverick. He's a bit of a Paul Gascoigne type. Um, there was demonstrations outside the training ground and media was a frenzy for, 
for two weeks leading into the tournament. But you have to make you have to make big decisions in order to to get the balance right of your team and your squad. And in the end, it's only justified by the results that you get. And we had the best tournament in Belgium's history. We failed in a semi-final against France. That I think they probably won the game based on the fact that they'd been beaten the Euros final 2016 and learned their lessons. And they didn't they, they didn't allow any mistakes in that semi-final. I think Belgium will be better in the next tournament for that game because I think Belgium will learn their lessons. So again, we're going back right back to the start of this uh, podcast. Experience is everything. Hmm. If you if you manage to buy yourself enough time, you'll get better. Totally agree. I, um, totally I think agree. That, that's a that's an unbelievable way to kind of finish off. Like <laughs> it's, Camden, just, it's, it's just superb, uh, it's just mate. been fascinating. We haven't had this um, kind of insight. Um, you know, playing and having playing only is is such a uh, sometimes such a selfish way to look at football. You know what I mean? That you see it uh, in your own little bubble, in your own little teams, and you don't see the bigger picture. And I think when you speak to a coach and a manager and someone who's been there, um, especially with with the uh, with the experiences of club managing, Premier League, international, World Cups, it's just it's just phenomenal, and it's just something that we've never had uh, the opportunity to speak to anybody until now, which is which is obviously great. But no, it's, uh, it's been fab. I've been really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. I could listen all night to this. Well, yeah, you, said it, you said it would be relaxed, lad. So I've enjoyed it as well. Lad. But me, I, 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 I tell the truth. So. And I do, which, which is great, you know, because uh, we, we we come across people and 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 on the on, on on shows and things, and it's it's sometimes difficult, isn't it, when you get asked a question or you know what I mean, or you are you holding things back because sometimes honesty is the best policy when you come out of a game, and and, and I do get sometimes it's difficult when you're still with it when you're still in the game, you know, about about talking about current clubs or ex clubs because you you're still playing, you're still current, but I think sometimes you can be. Um, you can be as honest as you want because I think people sometimes want to hear the honesty about their club, uh, about other clubs, about the way the football is and football was. Because Graham, football has certainly evolved since we played. Um, yeah. You know, what I mean, to the to the day it is now. We spoke about um, different generations and lifestyle choices and lifestyle decisions um, and things. Which you know, what I mean, I, I, listen, I wouldn't change it for the world because I think health-wise and personal-wise for me now, I'm probably fitter now than I ever was when I was a professional footballer. And yeah. if I had the insight now of, of what I needed to do now, back then, it, yeah. I could have been even better. Well, I would have been even better because I would have you had, the, the, I would have had the, um, the fitness and the lifestyle and things. But like now as well, though, it's going to have a have a, a bigger impact on lifestyle, kids, um, health when I'm older because I, I watch what I eat, I watch what I drink. Uh, you know what I mean? You try and get as much uh, well, sleep, doesn't happen, but you try and get as much sleep as you can. But it is what it is, isn't it? It's just, it's just but it... I just hope that young players continue to listen, like you say. You know what I mean? There's a percentage who don't, and I just hope that they don't regret because, you know what I mean? I've known lads who who didn't once they got released by Middlesbrough, for example, at, at 16 or 18, that they didn't go and move away to try and resurrect their career, or you know what I mean? And and, and you look back now, and it's it can, sometimes it can eat you inside. Sometimes regrets about football and things. Yeah. No, I agree with you, Andy. It's uh, again, it's about education. Our era, we didn't get that, and now you do. So there's no, there's no, uh, there's no excuses. No, I totally agree. Totally agree. Um, totally okay, agree. guys. Uh, big thank you to Martin and Black Diamond Sports, of course, and uh, Bespoke Financial for sponsoring the show. 
you could check out uh, sorry, 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 sorry. Martin the boot boy. Let's get that right. Martin the boot boy. Sorry, I apologise. He's a good lad, Martin. <laughs> but, um, He's an amazing lad. He's amazing. He knows a lot. Um, we'll be back Friday, 7pm for the Championship Show. So come and join us. Uh, there may be some ranting from me about Cardiff and uh, some things that have gone on in the media the last couple of days. But we're not getting into that now. And... Um, I've uh, got a cricket show dropping tomorrow with West Indian legend Courtney Walsh, as many as me, as well as many other shows coming this week. It's a busy week, and uh, I'm also cooking up something special, which I can't talk about just yet. But uh, it's coming, and it's going to be good. Thank you very much, uh, Graham, for joining us. I really appreciate your time. It's been, it's been amazing, an man. Pleasure. Thank Thanks for your time, and uh, Graham, good luck for the rest of the season. Good yeah, lad, Andy. Shy. Thank Cardiff. you as well. I've enjoyed it. Huh? Yeah, I'm going to watch Liverpool it. Arsenal lads now. Second. <laughs> uh, Enjoy second go. half. It's two. Is it? Am I right? It's two one. Uh, two one uh, Liverpool. Two, two one. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Spoiled my. Perfectly <laughs> poised. <laughs> Boys, right. take care. Uh. Thank you. Yeah. Cheers, Thanks, everyone. See you soon, lads. See you, See you soon. Man. Bye. 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 See you, Graham. My mummy and daddy have been talking about life insurance. It sounds like something to protect my brother and me, but I don't really understand. Then my Auntie Louise told Mummy about Bespoke Financial Teesside. She said they're a local company who helped her with her life insurance. Mummy got in touch and because they're based locally, a man called Darren was able to come to our house. He was really friendly. Darren stayed for a cup of tea and made it all really easy to understand. He said that life insurance will protect our home and family if anything bad were to happen. Like if Mummy or Daddy got sick, then we'd get enough money to take care of us and our house would be paid for so we wouldn't get taken away. After an hour, Darren said goodbye and Mummy and Daddy seemed a lot happier. Once it was all sorted, we could all relax and watch a film together as a family. I don't know why they didn't do it sooner. Podcast Network.